we met a friend on TikTok, and now we hang out with her IRL. Yeah. That could be you. That could be you. <laughs> like Listen. friendship sweepstakes. <laughs> you could be the winner. Welcome to Fascism Podcast. Yeah, I'm Jackie. I'm Hope. We read about fashion, we read about subcultural aesthetics, we read about art in all its forms, and we talk about it. How we talk about it? I don't know. We, you know. Like two friends having a good time. Yeah, comfortable with themselves. Right. What happens is I say things wrong all the time because that's who I am. And I say things wrong also because, you know, people, people are from France and... They have different names. They have different names and they're hard. And I also say English words wrong. And you'll know that if you listen to this podcast or you, if you've been part of this podcast or if you know me personally, you just know that about me. There's going to be information missing. We're not reading straight from a textbook, but we are reading things, connecting the dots and talking about why fashion is meaningful, even though your tech friend thinks they're better than you because they have one hoodie they wear every day. Audacity just fucking fell on like stop recording <sighs> you know hard times over here tech just falls apart on us and the haters are rating us so you should rate us too if you like the podcast or if you just like make it all the way through you know oh, yeah if they make it all the way through it's like you're diehard yeah dude you're our friend but yeah also contact us on the instagram and what else tiktok, TikTok fascism podcast Fascism pod on TikTok, Instagram. Email us. Email us. We would love to hear from you. Fascismpod at gmail.com. It's fun. We want to be friends. Yeah, we really do. We met a friend on TikTok and now we hang out with her IRL. Yeah. That could be you. That could be you. <laughs> it's like a Listen. friendship sweepstakes. <laughs> <laughs> you could be the winner. It's really so easy. <laughs> Just send us an email or Just shoot send us, us a, a DM. Box top. Um, okay, but with that, Hope, what's trending with you? Trending for me is girls' trips, planning them, going on them, canceling them, trying to have this perfect balance of, of travel, and started off with a trip to Vegas in January, and I was feeling very, like, devil's advocate where I wanted to be like, yeah, Vegas is so cool. Like, Seattle people, liberal people, they just don't get it. It's like, they think they're too good for Vegas, but Vegas is honest. Vegas is, you know like plastic it knows it's unsustainable and there's just this like honesty in it whereas we pretend that like I don't know because we live near a water source and because we don't have like humongous hotels that we're more sustainable there is a 17 year old cataloging billionaire or whatever the mega rich private jet use it's like magnitudes of carbon emissions more their house by itself is just has so many people in and out of there like I the carbon the the buildings are huge in Vegas, but the number of people in them, the number of people in them smoking cigarettes and ruining their lives, but whatever. <laughs> By the end of the weekend, I was like, get me out of here. It was, it was such a fun trip and like the first time I've ever been to Vegas with any amount of money. So we like actually saw Cirque du Soleil. We actually, we like went to Meow Wolf, the art installation. And it's like the shows, the like spectacular things. That's like what makes Vegas like tolerable and or even magical yeah and i'm gearing up for a dance weekend a dance conference and i've got a lot of things planned this year and it feels like they're spaced out and at the right amount and you know it's girls trips loosely sometimes men are involved mostly not sometimes it's uh obviously there's non-binary people this is so awkward I'm, I'm just saying the vibes, the vibes are girly. The vibes, the are, vibes are loud. They're proud. We're here to have fun and party. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. I mean, at least our Palm Springs part. Like, that's what I have in mind. I was like, I want to be in that pool, maybe falling in love with a gay man. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I want the opportunity to, like, for Coke to be available. Like, you know, out of nowhere. I don't know. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, that is how I like to travel. I like to talk to people, which is another reason that Vegas was annoying because I tried to talk to people or people would come up to me in the club and lift my hand up and look to see if I had a wedding ring. And one guy came up and he was like talking to me and he's like, what's your sign? 
I was like, Virgo. And he's like, oh, I'm Libra. I was like, oh, my boyfriend's Libra. And he's like, oh, you got a boyfriend? And then just, like, walked away. Ew. It's so rude. It's so rude. I bet those are Seattleites that threw, like, they, drove their jet to literally, Las Vegas. Literally, I met multiple people from Seattle yeah. in that one club. No, that's actually a thing. Like, all these rich, like, tech bros. Really? Like, yeah, fly out to Las Vegas a lot. It was so awful. I'm like, if you can't have a conversation with someone just because – they're not going to have sex with you, you've got a problem. And people are, like, unsympathetic to me because they're, like, clubs are for no. sex. And uh-uh. it's like, fuck that, dude. I should be able to be spoken to. Or just have a good time and dance and not and you having a boyfriend shouldn't be an issue because it's you're there just as much as they are there. Well, it's like, I mean, they're, like, fine with me being there as long as I don't talk and, like, take up the airspace that, they, that could be taken by someone that they are going to have sex with. I'm like, if you want that much of a guarantee that you're going to have sex, literally pay someone. Yeah. Just go pay someone. Yeah. And I'm not exactly. saying that I'm saying that, like, that is the option that makes sense for you. Yeah, that, guaranteed. Yeah. Don't be mad when you find out, like, that someone I, doesn't want to have yeah, sex with you. It's like, literally, I would not... I wouldn't have done that with you anyway because you seem like you don't have a personality. Yeah. And it's like... That makes me just angry because it's just like if you... Those are probably the same men that care about like the count number or something of a woman and that shit's just like... It really shows to you how um, like important looks are to men like if a woman isn't sexually appealing to them they're not they basically don't exist. Yeah when I was working like design build there was this guy who was like complaining about this woman talking to him on the train in um the bay area and he was like yeah and she wasn't even hot like basically being like how dare she speak to me she wasn't even hot it was like and he wasn't he wasn't hot i know uh, how he they sometimes they're they're never hot and they act like it what's trending for you jackie <laughs> 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 i'm so glad we got that off our shoulders you know like i have to get my one rant against men for the day and i hadn't had it yet what's trending with me Oh, yeah. Facebook Marketplace. Facebook Marketplace is happening. I'm obsessively looking at things that I can't afford. Rugs are in my future. Um, I want to buy an expensive rug, but I know I can't buy one. So I'm on Facebook Market what looking you at say you used ones. A Chinese silk rug? I want a, a dark blue silk rug is my actual my goal in life like I want it to be large I want it to feel good I want to take care of that baby I want everybody to like like wash their feet before they even step on it you know like I'm just so excited about that opportunity but that's like 10,000 and I'm willing to spend that money once I have it but I don't have it so um is it shiny it just feels a certain way um and it looks a certain way I gotta show you something I saw some on Facebook market that was like a hand-me-down um that I was like yes it was like three thousand dollars which is I was like look at this price and but I didn't get it anyways I'm just like obsessed. I'm also on buy nothing. I just got a couple vases for no reason because I was like, you know what? I need to start buying myself flowers, actually. Dude, it's so hard. I mean, with Facebook Marketplace, because you're constantly seeing stuff that's cool. And I'm like, my thing is candle, like taper holders, because I'm like, you can never have enough. You really want to switch them out all the time. And so it's like, yeah, these ones are green and glass. The options are endless. And they're all pretty cheap on Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. And that's the, and or buy nothing. And here's the thing. I'm like read a book on feng shui and it's from the guy that does feng shui TikTok if you know about him. And he like advises people in their small space of what to do. And I love it. I love watching him. Um, Anyways, I bought his book because I'm a fucking, you know, you can sell me anything and I'll, I'll buy it. Like, I got the feng shui book. I am now like, you know, obsessed with it. And they talk about having flowers, like having a display in them on your table is important. And I'm like, it is important feng shui. So now I'm like, I have to have, I need to have flowers. I need to like make my table attractive to my eye. That's important to me. And I always know it's important to me, but they just like justified it, I guess. Right, I was, right. It was it was in a text. Yeah. It has been written. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also trying to make my room like analog and I'm like, I need more fans. I need more mirrors. <laughs> For, get this feng shui vibe this is going. quite an image. Just fans <laughs> blowing on you while you lay on your Chinese silk rug. Some things with feng shui, though, I don't buy. Like, I remember one of them was, like, you're not supposed to have a mirror in the bedroom because then, like, your husband will see you in the mirror and think about, like, other women. Because basically there's, like, two of you. I'm like, how dumb are we? Like, he doesn't see other women when he walks around. That justification is very stupid. I thought it was, like, you're not supposed to let out this. It's about chi, so it's not letting out the energy. Right. So you're not supposed to, like, be facing the mirror because the the energy bounces back and you want it to be kind of like 
flowing in and out through at least the bedroom, right? Um, look at me. Work yeah, at it's me. like or like your bed's not supposed to face the door because then your energy flies out of the room, and yeah. it's like, is my energy flying out of the room, or are my animals constantly going in and out of the room yeah. and keeping me up that way? You're actually your feet are supposed to face the yeah. I'm not like directly parallel on, a little bit off is preferred. Uh, what is this like a hexagonal room? But it's supposed to be like more like to see the enemy coming is what I always thought. But I'm pretty sure I'm right. I just read a book, so uh, yeah. Email us fascismpod at gmail dot com. <laughs> Love to hear from you. Love to hear from you. Okay. Do you think it's time to get into what we're talking about today? Yeah, let's get into the topic. And I know you have a whole thing, but I'm curious if you could start by telling us how you heard about. How did I hear about it? Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we should start by, what what are we talking about today? <laughs> okay, we're talking about polystyrene and dayglow. I hope I'm saying styrene right. I think you are. But yeah, so how did I hear about it? Literally, I'm obsessed with the internet and honestly, Amazon Prime video. They've been having some good shit on there. I saw it on Amazon Prime. The documentary, which is called Pilot Polystyrene, I Am a Cliche. I Am a Cliche. And I was like, I've heard of her. I remember someone talking about her because like, you know, I knew in Nashville and everybody like knows everything about music. And I was just like, I remember someone mentioning a black punk artist not being as recognized as she should be but she is one of a kind kind of gal and I was intrigued by the title I am a cliche I love that kind of authenticity from an artist you know like yeah like that's what I hate about rock and roll like sex pistols and all like what are the fucking all that 60s rock rock dad or dad rock whatever it's like they have such an ego about themselves Mm -hmm. that I never appreciate it and I just like I can't take him seriously I'm like how can you take yourself seriously yeah yeah that's how I heard about her and what about you hope just from you okay from me being like watch this documentary yeah I was down yeah and before we get started what do you think of the documentary didn't like the way this the story was told I didn't like that it's so it's made by her daughter and that's kind of a theme with us lately is children making media in tribute of their parents and this one was made by her daughter her her narration of it was very slow and like too polished for me like it didn't like I just didn't like the way her narration sounded I didn't like that there were montages of her just walking around and that also (laughs) there were like it kept flashing back to her in this like white room reading a book and it was the book she wrote about her mom but with somebody else but I did really I was really intrigued by her story. What? Whose story? Polystyrene. Yeah. I I am excited to talk about her. I love the movie. I was like, finally, like, it was like the opposite of Pam Anderson. Even though I loved the Pam Anderson doc, uh, it, her sons were making it. And they weren't the center. Pam Anderson was obviously the center of that film versus, like you were saying. But I thought it was a cool story overall. And it was just really cool to see, like, women talking about other women and I love a mother-daughter yeah you've got to love a a daughter just like respecting her mom and her mom's work but also she talked about the hard times with her mom and I'm like yeah dude like yeah they've like if they can make it work we all we all can make it work not to say that you should feel bad if you have a tumultuous relationship with your mom but I'm just saying they got over a lot of stuff those two yeah I mean they showed each other a lot of well mostly the daughter showed the mom a lot of grace and forgiveness well, yeah, but she also died at a younger age. Like, things get kind of progressively... I just know so many people that have been burned by, like, mentally ill parents that it ebbs and flows, you know? Right, like, right. you have really good relationship, and then it can get bad for a yeah. little bit. It just really depends. Totally. But I think they were at a time yeah. at towards the end of her life that they were... I mean, obviously, she was very, very tight with her mother, yeah. so... And it's obviously complicated, you know? Okay, so who is polystyrene? Basically, she's the forefront of the punk style, like the the punk style, like fashion, I think. She was like in the 70s and she was a musician. But let's back that up. She began her life as Mariana Joan Elliott said. I love the name Elliott. I know that's the last name in this case, but. I think it, it just all kind of goes really well. Mariana. Yeah. Marianne Joan Elliott dash said. Yeah. Um, that said part could go personally, but yeah, it does make <laughs> things confusing. A little clunky. Marianne Joan, 
whatever. Mary Joan, <laughs> Mary Joan Elliot is a cool name. Yeah. I do feel like Elliot as a as a girl's name. Yeah. yeah. Or just a non-binary name, quite honestly. Right. And July 3rd is her birthday. She's a cancer. 1957 was when she was born in Kent and eventually moving to Brixton. I don't know where these places are, but they sound sad. And I'm imagining gray and I'm imagining fog and I'm imagining bricks. Sure. Sure. Stones. Yeah. Her mother raised her basically all alone as a legal secretary and documentary mentions how the family is like a built matriarchy because of that. Yeah, her dad wasn't really in the picture. He was he was from Somalia or of Somalian descent and her mom was No, she, he was from Somalia. From Somalia and her mom was British, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. British. She was British and they, I think they saw each other at a dance, was what the documentary said, and I guess hooked up. But anyways, her father was a dock worker as well, and basically just a drifter. We never really hear much about him. I don't know when he leaves, but he leaves, and I guess... He's kind of never there, right? Do they even talk? I'm, like, shocked no. that she even talks about her, her dad, or, yeah. like, there's a dad reference, because it seems like they don't even talk. But there's a quote in her thing saying, I'm just a regular tough girl that grew up in a regular tough neighborhood. But let me try to do it in an accent. I'm just a regular tough girl. No. <laughs> Can you do it? I'm, I'm just a regular tough girl. Wow. That was like not her accent though. But it was close to it because her voice is so particular and so cool. Yeah. At one point they're interviewing her and she's like a teenager while this is happening. And they ask her if she's a rebel and she says, yeah, I suppose I am a bit really. <laughs> It looks so cute. Yeah, it really is. I'm like, yes, girl. Yeah, so adorable. She grew up mostly poor and struggling. And basically, they're like the first like latchkey kids. I mean, she she was also being half black was brand new to England at that time. Yeah, people. I mean, it was something that like people would call her half caste. Like they. I don't even know what that means. Because like the caste system. System? I was so confusing when they were talking about that, though. I guess I just. I we, I guess that was just a term in England that they use particularly. People that are have been colonized uh, by England. A lot of countries in Africa. A lot of, uh, a, a most all of India, that whole thing. England like opened their borders to people that they had colonized for the first time in like the 60s. People were getting jobs. So a lot of black and brown people were, sh- people were showing up. And then, you know, mingling with some white pasty English people. And people were having kids that were half black. And this was the 60s was in like late 50s and 60s were really these first generation of multiracial kids in England. It was, you know, a big cultural shift happening. So people were being super racist and they didn't know where to place like these kids. And like the kids felt like they didn't fit in in anywhere. Yeah, she was she being half black had that experience as well. And she said like being a multiracial kid was like essentially a threat to people's like racist ideologies. Because her whole embodiment, her existence was simply just mind-boggling and people were very reactive toward her. Growing up in the 60s, she was a hippie. She ran away at 15, which, why do you do that, girl? It makes me kind of sad. This is a different time period because a lot of 15-year-olds, a lot of runaways during this time period were hippies. Like Most hippies were like 14-year-olds at the time. Yeah. Hopping the music festival to music festival, having probably, quite honestly, the time of her life. She also was probably having the worst time of her life. You know, it's like that. Just being a teenager. Yeah. And then one day while bathing in a stream, she stepped on a nail and had to be treated for sepsis. Oh. Have you ever, would you even know what that looks like? Mm, it's like your blood. There's like something, it's like an infection of your blood. Yeah. It sounds so scary. I know. Yeah. I didn't even know they had the medicine back then. Honestly, I'm like the 60s. They could just, they could cure that. They even had penicillin. Right. Someone was just saying that like penicillin came in like the 1910s. And I was like, there were so many things invented by the 1910s. Like maybe it was antibiotics. Oh, it was after Lee Miller. Cause she. Why? Because she had gonorrhea or something that you can't. That she, she, yeah, she had something and so they, they used like mercury. Douching her with, the, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, check out our I Lee like. Miller episode for some of those cool details. <laughs> I don't know if we talked about that one. Anyways, so yeah, she was like, okay, I'm going to go back to where, you know, all this started, my home. And, and she moved him back with her mom. And having been an inter, interrant traveler, is that how you spell Itinerant. It? What does that mean? Like you are like nomadic. 
uh, itinerant. That, I should use that. I've that been, was the GRE word, I remember. N- nice. Hope I remember that. I'm a little too high for, to remember, but an itinerant traveler, an alternative fashion designer, and a failed pop reggae singer. That's her mom? That's Polystyrene. Okay, so she had, wait, she was singing reggae? I, that makes so much sense because her music sounded so reggae inspired. Yeah. I'm kind of like shortcutting, but yes, like this was when she was like 19 at this point. So had she started Polystyrene yet? This is what I'm saying. She she had become, you know, after doing all these things, she then saw, uh, she saw like Vivian Westwood dressed sex pistols. Sorry. Mm. I wrote that weird. But, you know, I wanted to make it clear that the sex pistols were dressed by Vivian Westwood. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, I can do that. Yeah, she was. She witnessed the punk scene. She saw the punk scene. And this documentary says that like the mixed race people were like welcomed into punk because punk punk was all about like the outcasts of society. And on her nineteenth birthday on July third, nineteen seventy six, she decided to form the punk band called A X Ray Specs, baby. So that's when it all began on her 19th birthday. And she names herself Polystyrene. Yeah. And the way she named herself Polystyrene, do you remember? I wrote down that it was like because it's disposable like pop stars. Oh, I like that. She might have said that. But she said she was looking in the yellow pages. She was looking for something plasticky and shiny. And Polystyrene was in the yellow pages. So that's perfect. And she's right. Yeah, that is. She's at one point she's like getting interviewed in this documentary and she's like she has braces. She's really smiley. She's just like a cutie pie. Being yeah. Like, yeah, I suppose I am a bit of a rep. You can definitely tell she's a little naive and, and fresh faced and sweet. Her sense of style is sick. OK, and so since this is a fashion podcast, I have to mention that that's like when she joined this band X-Ray Specs, this is when the world really got introduced to her and her style mm-hmm. at this point she has red eyebrows and braided bangs her braided bangs are like i don't know if it was common at the time or if it was her signature but it seemed to stand out to me she had two like dangly front uh, braided bangs with her curly hair and she'd wore like big like flower like she would wear like two like primary colored kind of almost like loofahs i don't know like big flowers <laughs> yeah they kind of look like loofahs um, she's just obviously a fashion girly, you know, you look at her and you go, she appreciates fashion for what it is. Yeah. At one point, the narrator, aka her daughter was like, yeah, she was preaching this anti-consumerist message through punk, but like she loved shopping, which I'm like. Relatable. So relatable. Yeah. She said that. And I was like, and like the rest of us, girl, like the rest of us. Yeah. Why, why are you saying that so judgmental? I know. I'm like, yeah, sounds like a minimalist if I've ever heard one. (laughs) I wonder if she is. Anyways, she would hang out on King's Road, which is where all the punks were, right? And, you know, the famous Vivian Westwood space. And it was basically a famous punk show, fashion show street down there. And she had a a shop there. She had a shop there. And she just like hung out looking mischievous. Do you know about the shop? That She had a shop there. And like there's some, at some point she has like a apron that has like salt and pepper on it and like breakfast plates is so cute yeah she loves trash and i love trash too and i love that she loves trash and was she oh because she was upcycling clothing yeah she was making clothes out of whatever she wrote the band's first song this is fun she wrote the band's first song after seeing one of vivian's westwood's seditionaries outfits hanging in the window oh right right saying it was more about slavery the suffragette movement and the silencing of women but her clothes had such a strong imagery when you looked at them a million ideas flooded to my mind Mm. what she said and and she never considered herself a punk and like a lot of people in punk didn't call themselves punks yeah makes sense because that's not very punk of you well and it was like more how people were described by journalists at the time but i swear i saw someone in the documentary with a jacket where they had clearly written in tape punk punk i think and spray painted it so well she went back and forth on that too i mean there was a part of it where she was like but it's like uh, yeah so many of those things i'm like is was this just in retrospect at this right like we didn't subculture was i don't call we don't call ourselves like back then hipsters hips i mean we definitely called ourselves hipsters but we would now i don't think that term is used anymore i think they call it indie sleaze Mm -hmm. or just like woke there's like a part of like there's some venn diagram 
There's definitely a Venn diagram, but I'm just saying, like, indie sleaze, like, we would never identify as indie sleaze back then. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, 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 right. I see, what you, I see what you're saying. She dresses up as deliciously wild and bright as she can. And like we've said, she was obsessed with the plastic and the shininess of things. And not in the way that was all good. She was fascinated by the, its, like, deliberate fakeness, which I think I am, too. This is just everything she says. I'm like, I hate plastic things, but also am intrigued by it. Yeah, I feel like I come to really like plastic in a weird way. Yeah, because you have to. You have to deal with the devil every day because it's not going anywhere, even though it should. And you have to just like have fun with it if you're going to deal with it. It's going to be here. Yeah. In the dock, she's like, so fakeness is a big part of her identity as polystyrene. I mean, her name's Polystyrene. In the short doc, she sings. I watched a different documentary where she was like, it's just purely 30 minutes of her being interviewed. It's like, an, and she's a baby. She kind of sings, sang some lyrics to, to the audience. And one of them goes, I, I am a poser and I don't care. I like to make people stare. My facade is just a fake. Shock, horror, no escape. of the 90s or like the it's mm, you yes. know what I mean and so this is like the beginnings of that where it's like I feel like authenticity was a value of the punk movement I would say opposite she's saying I'm a poser she like talks about how she like puts on an identity that isn't real all the time like that's but what is, clothes are yeah and her name is polystyrene but it's like isn't it kind of like a little bit ironic or like it's a commentary it's definitely a commentary but the 80s were so i mean like she was going dayglo definitely ended up being part of the new romantics the new romantics were also a part of like the punk scene that came out of that but they were a new breed and it was very 80s and it was very much putting on the fabulous over the top right 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 so like I don't know. I think she's at the beginning of being like, why not have fun with this? And just like, we don't have to be all natural. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like she was, I feel like she was really trying to critique like fame. She didn't have her ideology straight. We can say that her sister, her daughter describes her as not being ideological because she, instead of being like, you know, I'm a feminist, like women are treated so badly. She was kind of like, she was like more speaking universal, universal truths. There's so much enslavement. There is so much suffering. There is so much like abuse that happens versus like tying it to ideologies. I'm not saying she has ideology, but she does like, she does wear clothes. I was kind of arguing with myself in that point where it's like, but don't you think she was anti-consumerist? Yeah, she was anti-consumerist. Doesn't mean you have to, like, that's not making you, I don't know. I don't think, yeah, I don't think, I agree. Yeah, I don't think authenticity is part of their ethos. This is the punk ethos is primarily primarily made up of beliefs such as non-conformity, anti-authoritarianism, anti-corporatism, do-it-yourself ethic, anti-consumerist, anti-corporate greed, direct action and not selling out not selling i know out. it sounds they, they sound like such babies they were big babies yeah. but honestly malcolm mclaren whatever in that way it's like going back to plato <laughs> it's like what is truth like not wearing makeup not the truth is the truth or is like wearing makeup the truth right. and i think that w- that's an internal debate that is happening within the community and they're like let's just have fun with it and she even has a quote that's like clothes are never really you clothes are never really you that's why people wear them because you can just create an image with clothes they're just part of a facade which is is good fun to play with sometimes i i guess i i don't see it so as much as like I, it definitely seems like a reaction to like, okay, there's so much plastic now. There's so much synthetic. She talked about synthetics and obviously like plastic is being a synthetic. I don't see her adopting that identity as being like a celebration of it. I see it more as like a protest against it. Wanted to have a total obsession about synthetic things in the modern world. And so therefore I dressed to, you know, fit. It went with the name and the songs and everything. I just wanted it to be interrelating. She changes opinions and styles and aesthetics throughout her whole life. But as polystyrene, as this person that was in her young 20s, 19, growing up, she had fun with the way she looked. Yeah. 
And I don't know how much of it was a commentary and how much it was her just having fun. Right, right, right. She did. She like loved to express herself and like she had a completely unique look. I mean, it just literally was absolutely unique. Yeah. And I don't know, just being and that to me, I look at her and I think, what is freedom? Because I want to look like her. I love how she, it feels like it has to be a commentary, but it probably isn't. It's probably her wearing clothes because just her existing and not giving a fuck and wearing what she wants is almost like so too, like taboo in its own self, you well, know? I think, yeah, I think dressing that far from what's socially normal is a commentary because you do face immediate consequences for doing so, even if it's a weird glance, some people asking you why you're dressed like that, people maybe not even wanting to hire you. You immediately are told by society that what you're doing is counterculture and then you make a decision to keep doing it. Right. She was in the punk scene though. So, but she still didn't look like the rest of the punks. No. She was bold in the sense that she was like, I'm going to be girly and also not girly. I'm going to, I'm going to be playful and not like take I'm, it so seriously. There was just like a freedom of not caring and of being looking s- silly. Yeah. I don't know. It's just very powerful. Just even seeing her up there, you're just like, that's why everybody was so obsessed with her truly is because she, she was just like not giving a fuck. I know that sounds so breaking things down so simply but i, can't. I mean yeah she truly was non-conformist and and a fashion girly and a fashion girly i love a fashion girly mm-hmm. yeah truly. right oh. yeah we love nuance too it's right. like yeah it's like she there's no reason that she can't be both of those things exactly i think i'm just taken aback by the fact that she gave a shit about fashion she had fun with it and she was like saying really meaningful shit i don't know and like talented all at the same time she was like a poet really her lyrics are so poetic and she's the singer of the band by the way that's and she just has this like boy i mean yeah she sings punk but it's i don't know it it yeah it's ahead of its time because it's crazy that sound it's like it sounds like 90s punk or girl you know girl rock or rock girl rock yeah i don't know that whole era of the 90s soft rock no riot girl riot girl i don't know her wardrobe was what the media called day glow essentially that's how they described her yeah and i'm gonna tell you a little more about day glow itself but like day glow she sings about it it's actually a paint company but they are known for their fluorescent colors, mm-hmm. which is like the neons was a new concept, mm. pretty much invented fabric wise in the 60s. And it was like just brand new to the market. I mean, literally think about it. The fact that like synthetic dyes didn't even hit the scene until the 1920s. And yeah. that's so this is only 40 years later. Yeah. Color and fabric are very much still evolving. And her even her daughter, Celeste Bell, her the name. Do you know the name of the book? No. It's called Day Glow. <laughs> the Holly Styrene story. Oh, cool. She's also the one that took the part in the documentary, as, I, as we talked about. Her daughter, Celeste. Yeah, and she became like the full custodian of Polly Styrene's like archive in 2011. Didn't even want to touch it for five years because it was just like, I couldn't even imagine having that archive. Yeah, she really describes, and I thought like convinced me anyway, that like of the weight of it, you know, of like you have all these documents and I mean, you have to become like an archivist. It's like not easy to do. Not even it's easy. It's a real job that people do. And you care about it because this is a legacy that should be remembered because it's your parent. At the same time, you're grieving and you're angry at your parent for neglecting you. And and her electric sense of style, you couldn't ignore. And she had like wore like wild mismatched patterns with like fluorescent hues and really busty shapes. They were just mm. so... Like, she looks like a rectangle sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, or a triangle. Shiny, like a really shiny dress at one point that's yeah. like kind of, yeah, structural. Right. It was like, she wasn't, none of it was like confined to her body. This was really kind of a juxtaposition to the punk that we know, which was very nihilistic and kind of dark. I remember, this is calling me back. I went accidentally, I was meeting my friend at this bar and they were having karaoke, but it was a metal karaoke thing. And I didn't know that. And I had put in Pony by Genuine. Oh. <laughs> and, and then the DJ was like, okay, up next, Pony by Genuine. I just want to remind you guys, the most metal thing is being not metal. So wow. I, I know. That is really funny. <laughs> 
And so did the crowd go wild? No, they hated it. I love her constant merging of ideas. And I think the fashion that she sold and her music and what she wore and her her whole life, it really was just a merging of various ideas mm-hmm. and blending things together. And I love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is another example of how she's not ideological she like seeks universal truths in that like she gets involved with the Hare Krishnas and later and like at one point she's punk and I mean yeah that's like humans right we change throughout life and we adopt different ideas but I guess when you just see it all together you see how she she's pursuing like general truths throughout her life I mean she did go to the psych ward multiple times too so she had no other choice but to figure herself out but uh, Celeste uh, her daughter said she took the DIY look very seriously and they weren't actually a lot of punk musicians doing what she was doing making her own clothes styling the band making all the artwork for that band making all of her own posters one of the reasons her style was so unique and stood out among her contemporaries was because she was making it all herself she wasn't into what we considered classic punk I think uh, back to her heritage the Somali people especially the women traditionally wearing bright colors even though it's a Muslim country the dark robes and the hijabs were never part of that of their tradition um celeste says it was more colorful um flowery and she was very interested in that aesthetic things started to pick up for x-ray specs when later on and they were asked to do like this thing called early rock against racism gig which they happily did which i thought was cool and after that the everything kind of went crazy because there's just so many people at this show of like rock against racism and like richard branson which sounds familiar yeah virgin records yeah, Richard Branson released Oh Bondage Up Yours. He released that album. Is that an album or a song? I, I think it's both. I Little girl should be seen and not heard. Oh Bondage Up um, I also want to say that speaking of her doing everything, she she was the one who formed the band. She put out an ad and like she recruited a band. She hired a female saxophonist fellow girly so that was like something unique about their sound too they said it seems very ska influenced or that it influenced ska Ska, like um and but celeste does say in the documentary that she could never sustain a relationship longer than a few years which i thought was a very negative way of saying it it's like i know people are allowed to not have long relationships you're allowed to want short relationships though she does say that like she really wanted love so it's like I guess that she like maybe she did want a longer relationship. But either way, it just seems like it. it, I don't like describing it as a failing. I don't either. I think her just I think Celeste is just, you know, bitter from her life. She's dealing with things. Yeah. She's like, God, mom had so many fucking boyfriends. It was annoying. She also talks about how her mom like she was embarrassed of her mom's outfits. Oh, yeah. I loved that. They she ends up going to New York for a little bit. And she was like really affected her. She was only 21 at the time. And this is when they started getting really famous. It was just a lot for her. And she didn't like it because like new, like the TV was 24-7. That had that was a whole new thing. Like TV wasn't always on all the time in England. I think she's like also inundated by the things she had heard about America, American like overconsumption and the amount of like advertisements around her and like. Yeah, it was just a lot. I mean, when she came back to the UK, she said that things were like totally out of control and like venues got bigger Keith Moon and the Pistols came to our gigs and heckled them down in the front. Which I'm just like, the Pistols are such fucking dicks. Like, support her. Right. Why do you have to be mean to her? Right. They had just been dropped by EMI, which is like a a label at the time, like the Pistols had. And she said that she remembered a rep coming backstage offering us a deal and Johnny Rotten tried to, like, talk her out of it. Oh, my God. Like, fucking assholes. Wow. And he was, like, really pissed about the whole thing. But in New York had taught her anything in those few short weeks. It was to look after her own. And Celeste in the documentary is in Times Square looking way too happy to be in Times Square. (laughs) I'm like, "This this place is worse than Las Vegas. It really is. I've never even been there. But I'm like, ow, ow, ow. It hurts to look at anything. Okay, you keep hitting. I mean, that's why my mic keeps moving. Oh. Because you keep clicking the table. You're like, what magic treat? I know. I was like, I'm not touching it. I was just like, fine, accepting that like complete, like, like tear in the laws of physics that would have been (laughs) happening in front of me. New York basically really changed her and she saw like plastic everywhere. Right. She was really seeing plastic. And it reflected in her fashion and her art even more than it had before. 
And there's this song called, My Mind is Like a Plastic Bag. And it goes, My Mind is Like a Plastic Bag. <laughs> That's how it starts. My Mind is Like a Plastic Bag. <laughs> <laughs> I love it all. My Mind is Like a Plastic Bag. My Mind is Like a Plastic Bag. And, and she goes, it, that corresponds to all those ads. It sucks up the rubbish that is fed through the by ear. I eat Kleenex for breakfast, and I use soft, hygienic Weetabix to dry my tears. It's 1977, and we are going mad. It's 1977, and we've seen too many ads. It's 1977, and we're going to show them all. Apathy's a drag. Dude, you have no idea. If yeah, she could she see no how things coming. are right now, if she could see, like... She, I guess she was alive until recently. Uh, so she really saw things died, go down the tube. But it was like in the internet era, 2007, I think. And, or 2011. But she wrote a song called like E-Boyfriend or something like that. Where it's 2011. Called- oh yeah. E- that was one of her, like when she was in her 50s, she yeah. wrote that. Yeah. I love that. She was still like surprised or, or commenting on technology. She's just always fantasized by it all. Because it is crazy. Well, she says about plastic. She was like, aren't they aren't they beautiful because they're so horrible? It's almost like post-camp coining that where it's like, uh, it's instead of gaudy and over the top, it's like beautiful because it, uh, what's that word? I don't know. I'm not going to be your girl for memory yeah, words. Damn it. It would have been the perfect word to use. Just imagine. <laughs> Just imagine the perfect word for that moment. This is when she starts slipping into psychosis. She says that she sees like aliens and come to her window She's hospitalized, hanging out with these, I guess, the sex pistols. And they just were, again, never listening to her. They just, just hearing them describe about what happened. Like, basically, she, they were all talking and completely ignoring her. And I'm like, been there, girl. I have been there. They're talking about music, probably, too, with a fucking legend in the house. And they're ignoring her because she's, like, just a woman, I guess. Anyways, and she ends up shaving, going into, she goes into the bathroom doesn't, and they don't even notice and she shaves off her entire head. She says that, she said that as soon as the industry sexualized her or as soon as people sexualized her, she would shave her head. And then her, the music, her manager, whatever, tells her she has to wear, she like comes with a crocheted head wrap, also fabulous. And she's Neon like, green. I shaved my head last night. And he's like, don't take that thing off. And she, of course, does. But um, during the psychosis moment, her lyrics are still like vibrated with uh, with the cultural shift essentially into the plastic world that was happening around her. And she, this is another song. I clambered over mounds and mounds of polystyrene foam, then fell into a swimming pool filled with fairy snow and watched the world turn day glow. You know, you know, the world turned day glow. I rinsed the nylon curtains back as far as they would go, then peered through Perspex window panes at the acrylic road and watched the world turn Dayglow, you know. And, you know, it goes on. But Dayglow, yeah, it's just talking about everything was shifting, dude. Like, it, it must have been wild to be a part of, like, neon colors coming Fluorescent colors suddenly being experienced. That that was, uh, what a shift. But we're going to focus on Dayglow, which started essentially in the 60s, at least aesthetically wise. And I think really polystyrenes changed the kind of style that they, they used with Dayglow and what you would end up finding in the clubs eventually in the 80s. And those early days, like ID Magazine, Edwin Innefel's Thing was happening during the 70s and it was also very day glow aesthetic oh interesting like its original covers were very like day glow poppy with the fluorescent look it was it was echoing what was happening in that shift that period of the 70s of of in that england area where polystyrene was and it was just man-made and the obtuseness to nature was just so it you could not not spot it out to us though it's just normal normal it was jarring to them at the time though a little history neon change. colors for them is ai to us now we're like <laughs> yeah ah scary it is scary it is scary i don't like them that we're so used to it a little history of dayglow according to several accounts dayglow itself but also mental floss did this whole article there's this guy named bob switzer who in 1933 fell and hit his head okay 
And apparently, like, lights and colors hurt him so much during his recovery. So his sweet, sweet daddy gave him his, like, shop's basement as a dark room so he could just, like, sit there and recover. Oh. His dad was a pharmacist, so I, I, I guess under there. So just keep that in mind. His dad was a pharmacist. So in 1933, there was, like, I guess he was kind of some kind of rich daddy. He's a Nepo baby, essentially. Mm. If your dad's a pharmacist. Pharmacist? No, that's not Nepo baby. Come on. <laughs> back in that day, 1933? No. Okay, anyway. Even less rich back then. Big farmer wasn't what it is today. But his younger brother was a chemist and an amateur magician. magician. Okay. So what do we know about magicians? You say they're fuckboys. <laughs> so I say they're wannabe fuckboys. Fuck like, I don't think most magicians achieve that that high high status and he was also interested in the black arts aka playing with ultraviolet light and fluorescence not sorcery which i'm like isn't that sorcery though isn't that some kind of sorcery hmm. um to create illusions of objects appearing and disappearing on darkened stages so during bob's like recovery joe and bob these names joe and bob thought since he was going to spend all this time in the dark uh, might as well make something out of it and the brothers started to mix the pharmacy supply of marine eye wash with alcohol and white shellac i don't know what any of this is which created a fluorescent yellow substance under black lights so good old bob could like stare at things in the dark and it not hurt his eyes and have a good time interesting so they created this his dad made him a whole new like like chemistry not not his dad but joe and his joe and bob like they them together like it's called like neon light not neon, but you know how you turn on you like the fluorescent lights. No, like fluorescent colors. <laughs> I hope finally got to what I was trying to say. The black lights, all those, you know, black lights. You know the rooms. You me- I don't know if they have these anymore, but you remember like they used to have smoke shops, and they were clearly just like where you went to buy your bongs. And then they would sometimes have dark rooms, those black lights, and they would be like posters all around. You That's what I'm saying. That's how boys decorated their dorm rooms in college. So, yeah, they invented that. And you know what uh, Joe did with that? You know, since I told you he was a magician, Joe Switzer performed a magic trick using these black light solution and a Balinese dancer, making it appear that her head had detached from her body. And you know what? He won an award because of that. Wow, a magician's award. At the magician's convention. No way. Yeah. Now that's a horny convention. (laughs) Is it all men? I'm assuming in the 30s it probably definitely was. Wow. They eventually created a dazzling rainbow of pigments, which they trademarked eventually as Dayglow. Okay, so they start selling stuff. In 1935, they worked with Warner Brothers to create this dramatic special effects scenes called Midnight Paintings for Movie Theater Lobbies. Wow. And their glowing tableau appeared to transform when a, a black spotlight switched to a white light. And this effect worked well in the darkness of theaters. So they started to focus on how they could make their paint work during daylight. And in 1936, they created their first batch of pigments that reflected visible color from the spectrum while also absorbing and transforming UV wavelengths of colors lower into the spectrum. At first, this was like only commercially used. I don't know what for, but it was only commercially used, okay? The magicians needed these. uh, (laughs) The magicians in the the movies needed these UV wavelengths uh, pigments. I don't know. But World War II happened. This is where they get their real money. These paints and dyes helped with the safety of the military people. Wow. And they painted buoys that marked where uh, underwater mines had been. No way. Cleared. Yeah. And suits worn by aircraft carrier crew to guide nighttime plane landings. Um, thanks to their colors used in s- safety fabrics. During the time working for the military, the brothers developed this type of pigment that could easily reveal flaws within machinery. All you had to do was like paint, then expose the area with a UV light. So like very helpful for the U.S. Air Force. Yeah. And this is how they got a rich, 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 rich. And they just look like normal dudes. I was hoping they would like look interesting because one of them is a magician. But no, they just like normal balding. Just a plain clothes magician. Yeah. They didn't wear any other colors. <sighs> that I know. bothers me. The showmanship. Like I'm researching nudie suits right now. I think that might be our next episode. And uh, it's, it's showmanship. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, I'm with you. Like show off the thing that you're making and have some pride in it. But they were like, look like businessmen. They always wanted to create a daytime fluorescent pigment. They hadn't done that yet. 1957, they did just that. And the company patented a process that combined fluorescent dye with a polymer, which gave the dye a greater light stability for uses as outdoor paints as well as in traditional printing applications. So dun dun dun, day glow aesthetic is invented essentially. Mm. 
This began to pollinate the world with a psychedelic sense of fashion and art. Pop artists like Peter Max and Andy Warhol incorporated Dude, psychedelic colors yeah. into trippy paintings and lithographs. Right. That's Dayglow. Neon. Dayglow really hitting the apex of cool when the Beatles wore military-style suits and Dayglow colors on the covers of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in 1967. So, like, 70s is literally all Dayglow mm-hmm. when you think about it. 60s more, you know? Oh, that's what I meant. 60s. And then 80s, but... 70s too because you know the punk scene polystyrene right that's what we're getting to the day glow fashion in the punk world was a combo of fake and authenticity it was a diy painted and elaborate flashy color schemes the new romantics of course are you know girl polystyrene like we just said but it was different from the 60s more polygon shaped abstracts from real form but still bright as ever because the 60s although had very colorful mod style in their fashion because of day glow like there was so many bright colors it was still like fitted to at least for women's wear was very much feminine cuts were very feminine and i would say a lot of like the punk day glow fashion was obtuse and different and right the colors were there but the lines were definitely drawing like they were the day glow that polly was using she was drawing outside the lines essentially are there any other people you can think of like notable artists celebrities whatever who were doing day glow fashion who are our other day glow fashion icons Oh, fuck yes, I can. Edward Infill with all that, the whole crew that was very DIY. The club of like was... Oh, House of uh, Beauty and Culture. Yeah, they were very... They had moments of day glow aesthetic. But George Michael was part of that. And he definitely had a day glow aesthetic. I mean, our girl Madonna, that was more 80s or early 90s, had a day glow aesthetic too. Dude, maybe we can say that because I really, for whatever reason, keep picturing our spray painted tops as being the CMYK color, cyan, magenta, that yellow. Maybe that's kind of day glow in a way. Maybe. As long, if they're fluorescent. It's like bright. <laughs> yeah, neon. Yeah, that's it. I just think this is really funny that, that, I don't know, too, this guy hit his head and then like had to go in the dark and was like, I'm bored. And his brother and him, because he was a chemist slash ma- magician, was like, I don't know, let's make some of this shit dad has upstairs. And then they invented a whole new literal like element from the universe. <laughs> yeah. Obviously not literal. I know elements are only one kind of molecule, okay? I don't even know why you're listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's interesting that I also, while I was doing research about, is the Dayglow now. Like, Dayglow paint, like a lot of artists were using like this new kind of vibrant paint, and it was like part of their whole thing, is like now fading. Wait, what? The Dayglow paint uh-huh. that people used in the 60s and 70s yeah. is now fading. Like if you painted a building... That color in the 60s, it doesn't look neon now. Yeah. Well, yeah, that makes sense. But, but it's not, it's art. Like, they're like people that have oh, made art with it. Oh, gotcha. So there's a need for conserving this, right? Uh-huh. And Dayglow itself, okay. Although, me, is there, can we just let the art age? That would be against some of the artist's whole point. Because I use, like, okay, let me let me tell you, okay? But I just think it's interesting because we're also, like, you know, color is, like, leaving Earth. And mm-hmm. also, like, these neon colors are just fading. It's, it's fading, yeah. We're intentionally not using it. And it's also just fading. Yeah. Yeah. But this art conservator and owner of LA Art Labs, Camilla Corbella, is trying to save some art from its decline. And Corbella is trying to save this Bamber piece, which has like color blocking, behemoth painted vibe in 1965 by this influential modern artist called Frank Stella. Oh yeah, I know Frank Stella. Okay, and this piece, Bamber, was on view for the first time since 1980. It's like really bright. Uh-huh. It's yellow, red, blue. Is it like using day glow colors? Okay. So they're fluorescent. Look it up if I you want. It. it vibrates. You can't- Wait, who's it, it by? Frank, Frank Stella. Stella. The yellow has a definitely faded at a faster rate than the pink or the blue, oh, yeah, which yeah, is what yeah. Caborla said. And you can really only look at it because it's so unnatural. It's so unnaturally bright. You can only really look at it for like not that long and you'll get a headache. And even looking at it on the screen, you're like, Ugh. I love it. But like, yeah. I also feel like your eyes don't know where to go because it's there isn't really like hierarchy. It kind of it's like dynamic like your eyes are like moving around it Whew. yeah it's a lot and that's the intent of the paper of the thing was to just show the color scheme and how crazy i don't know how color is crazy it's supposed to be so defiant of nature but the yellow is very particularly difficult to like replicate it's all a secret it, what's a secret the yellow paint you can't replicate it unless you replicate the constitute dyes because the yellow paint's called saturn yellow and it's trade by trademarked by day glow because that's the whole thing that we're talking about 
It's yeah. trademarked by like the Dayglow company, <laughs> which are these two, like the magician and They're his dad. Da- the magician they, and his dad. Yeah, uh, no, the magician and his brother. Oh my god. <laughs> His dad lent them the basement to hang out in, basically, because okay. he hurt his head. Dad has, and he just has a pharmacy that they have stuff to mix. With. Got it, got it. Dad just had the the supplies. He's like a, totally a side character in this whole thing. Apparently, though, Dayglow. Okay, so they still make Saturn yellow, right? Uh-huh. But according to paint conservators, the formula is like really different from the 50s and 60s Dayglow Saturn yellow. And Dayglow thinks its current model is actually fine. Okay, so they say actually it's fine. Thank you. But wouldn't divulge proprietary information. Proprietary. Oh, thank you. Proper, proprietary information. And Tom DiPetro, Dayglo's current vice president of research, put it this way. It would be like giving away the Coke formula. When you put it like that. When you put it like that, they should all release them. They should all release them. I want to be able to make Coca-Cola at home. I, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to. You should be able to make the paint at home. It's like, come on, Coca-Cola, release the ingredients. It's just going to be like a Z4611-55. Like, I'm not going to know what any of that stuff is. I mean, is. the ingredients are published. It's just, I think, the recipe itself is like... Because they have to show the ingredients, right? On every package. Maybe not. Don't quote me. But Saturn Yellow also top not they lock that shit away they refuse to give it out to even these people that are they're like, like please i need this formula to save this painting so they're not they won't make the paint and they also won't give the recipe that's kind of rude they say that their saturn yellow that they have now is they're fine like, it's fine they're and all these conservatories people are like no it's actually not they're I like the listen difference. we used to put children's urine in the saturn yellow recipe because that's just ha- that and we can't do it anymore it's illegal now yeah exactly they're like we uh, but they won't say it because they're like it's a secret it's yeah. a secret <laughs> actually let's not talk about it that's why you keep bringing it up <laughs> the times like reported on this woman's and the, her team's efforts of like trying to recreate the saturn yellow and like felt bad for her because like she had been like she's screaming at the top of her lungs being like i want to save this painting paint art means a lot to me i this is my whole job i can't figure out this yellow and i need to save this yellow and then times reported on it and so the the Diglo agrees to like provide Corbella's team with pigment samples and a data sheet with some limited detail about their composition, which I don't even know if that helped or not. The They're future- like, we'll give you one hint. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it just sucks because a lot of modern art hangs on this one woman's research and the Dayglow shades can't really be replicated in many fear that renowned works such as F111 James Rustiquist 86 foot long protest piece I don't even know that one and any Warhouse flowers could literally just mm-hmm. disappear I mean can I do a brief counterpoint yeah where it's like we put way too many too much weight on these like handful of artists anyway it's like I mean I like Andy Warhol's art but it's also like there were tons of other people making art there's lots of uh, lots of art that matters i don't know i i understand it's like i'm not saying people shouldn't preserve paintings but it's like are we glorifying him a little too much well yeah but they use day glow and that's like the colors they can't replicate and everybody's just like any of it's really anybody of that time period that made that art i mean i'm saying there could be a world where we just let these things go but i understand that it's important to people <laughs> audacity i'm just saying a lot of people there's a lot of art it's like i don't know lo- there is i don't think there is oh there's not enough there's not enough. Okay, but sure. But like, is the stuff we need to save the Mona Lisa? Like, you know, it's like that thing, the glass onion where they have the Mona Lisa locked up. Like, that's obviously like an extreme case of yeah. example of what I'm saying, where it's like we're being a little too precious about like five paintings. No, for sure. But that's just because the ignorance of like the public not being educated on art in general. So like we only are given five pain- painters in the history. And like, yeah, it's stupid. But these paintings contain like a lot of like a glowing ghost that can't be captured on photography is what a Belgian-based conservatory who is an expert on fluorescent art. There's an expert on fluorescent art. And he said, I think that if we wait for another 50 years, they will be milky-colored ruins, which will have lost their original effect. And most importantly, meaning. It's basically like the Greek statues now that aren't colorful anymore. Yeah. They become something different, you know? They do. As novelist and Mary Prankster, do you know what Mary Pranksters are? I was curious if you do. Mary Prankster? Mary Pranksters. No. Is that like a... Do you know who Ken Casey is? Jackie just got the most devilish, like, <laughs> smile on her face. It's just funny. I mean, I deeply researched them, but Mary Pranksters are basically why Grateful Dead exist. They, like, just, like, stole a bunch of LSD and took it across the uh, nation in the 60s. But Kim Casey, who was the lead of these Mary Pranksters that were just out of a van, like, men, like, having parties and showcasing LSD to the world, wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. 
Oh, right, right, right. So he said, nothing looks worse than a faded out date glow. <laughs> and he would know, okay? He wow. basically... <laughs> wow. You had that reply so locked and loaded. You were so prepared. These colors aren't found in nature, which makes them fake, as Polly would say. I keep on mentioning how they're not found in nature, but it's just really... I want you guys to hammer it in. Like, understand, it's crazy that we have fluorescent colors. It's crazy. They stand out for a reason. More often than that, the colors are used as highlights, but the nine-foot-tall bamber that this person is trying to save is like 100% fluorescent paint. Viewing it more than a minute will cause basically ocular agony and the visual equivalent of an overdose. I hate when people say, that's a good band name, but honestly, ocular agony? (laughs) That's like Edward Edenfalls every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's It's not funny because I'm sad that his eyes... (laughs) are falling like out diseased. of his face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I started out with Bamber, this is Corbella talking, um, a colleague was giving a different gray cards to rest my eyes on because she couldn't, she was working on it and she's like, ah! <laughs> oh my God. And at times she said examining the painting at 10 times magnification was literally Wait, unbearable. This is the, the, the lady who's trying to fix Frank Stella's painting? Yeah. Wow. She's going through a lot. She's like, help! And everybody's like, no, just keep looking at that yellow sadder bitch. And she's like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Too bad, so sad. Um, This is why we need unions. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She's like, I want to form a neon art preservers union. Day glow. (laughs) She did it herself, though. She's the one that took on this cause. Has no one else to blame but her. Uh, Basically, apparently, according to LA Times, the pain of looking at Bamber, um, which is, again, all for us in day glow colors, is a function of the photophysics electron level exchange of energy that convert invisible energy to visible light. So it converts invisible energy to visible light. What the hell is this thing? The day glow. They go color. It's like this painting, which basically creates these colors so vibrant that they scream. She made these colors. No, this is Bamber. Oh, the that's painting. the original colors. Yeah, okay, the Dayglo okay. colors. I'm sorry. I'm so stoned. <laughs> <laughs> You're like one word at a time next time. Anyway, so yeah, again, converting inner, invisible energy to visible light is basically what this like electron level exchange is happening. Wow. And the team plans to apply for like a grant and to address the critical need a museum filled. And they really want to have this like lock and key principle solution for thousands of paintings. And that's really what they're hoping for. Hmm. Should we should we take to the streets? Should we be like, yes, no, we need day glow. <laughs> oh my God, it's genius. That's fucking, I'm, I'm not mellow until I have Saturn yellow. <laughs> we need our Saturn to return. <laughs> A, an astrology themed okay. protest poster. Uh, Corbella would take tiny yellow samples, dripples collected from the edge of Bamberg campus to the lab of the Getty Conservatory Institute where they like use this gas chromatic mass spectrometer, a machine that will calmly look at chemical weapons and stardust. Didn't know that was a thing, but of course it is, right? You know, the next stop will be USLA where the samples can be analyzed using electron microscope and other sophisticated devices to produce images at the subatomic level. This is serious. This is serious, you guys. Yeah, it's no wonder they quit. This sounds like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't quit, though. She's still doing it. Well, I mean, like the people who make the color. Oh, yeah, they were... uh, no, they still have Saturn yellow. They just don't have the same formula that they did in the... But they're still doing this whole process to make Saturn yellow. They're, Corbella is going through this whole process just to get the OG fluorescent Saturn yellow that they did in the 50s and 60s because they did change their formula. Right, right, right. It's like when Dimetap changed this recipe. I remember it used to be like so deliciously grape and I would always pretend to be sick so my mom would give me Dimetap. I fucking loved that shit. And then they changed their formula and I was like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that happens. It's like, did you change or did the formula change, you know? Great question, yeah. Dayglow now as it stands is not necessarily a fashion. It is fading as color and color is disappearing from our world. Most importantly, Dayglow looking like trash after a few years. I don't know why I wrote that. I mean, it's just like everything in the world. Dayglow ends up looking like trash. Yeah. Just like an Ikea furniture piece that we own, Dayglow can't be held up to the rest of the time. So 
Polystyrene knew that and was ahead of her time. An outcast from birth, she formed a wardrobe to reveal the shift in the world before the world could grasp it entirely. Her fashion reflected her outlook. For that, I hope we can all challenge others to be truthful and not truthful wow. in our fashion. Wow. I just have to say, like, the, it, it is interesting to me that, like, she talked about plastic as being disposable pop stars as being disposable and in a weird way day glow it's is also just like not a durable right material it's all just yeah synthetic and all right we gotta go that was great thank you love you i love you i love you guys too who's ever listening thanks for making it this far bye 